Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our, our guest is Steve Dace. He's a principled conservative with a snarky twist served up on daily Blaze TV. He's also the author of The Fauci and Bargain, uh, the most powerful, dangerous bureaucrat in American history. And probably most and more important, he's a husband and father of three. Steve, thanks for joining us today. I'm happy to be here. I love your city. Thanks for having me. Why don't you talk a little bit about your book, The Fauci and Bargain, and uh, how's that doing and how can people get it? Well, the book hit uh, number one overall on Amazon.com, which out of 48.7 million books, I guess is okay. Um, (laughs) uh, We hit hit number one on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list uh, as well, number four on USA Today's bestseller list. So, um, but for us, you know, we put this book out as, as soon as we could via paperback where you make a lot less money as an author. I make $1.85 a book, you know? So I'm not, um, I'm not going to be able to uh, escape to Florida whenever I want on what we're going to make off this book, uh, unlike Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who apparently can. This is, a, this is missional more than transactional for us. We have to get our way of life back. This is the biggest scam. And when I say this, I'm not talking about the virus. I'm talking about the mitigation strategies, the policies, this is the biggest scam that's ever been sold in the uh, uh, people in the history of Western civilization. And this has to end. Um, and so before it to end, we have to win the information war. Information is the weapon of mass destruction, uh, ultimately. And whoever has control over the flow of information ultimately has control. So we wanted to write a book that culminates a year's worth of research and hard work we have done on our show on this topic. And, and, and we're not the scientists and the experts. We're bringing you the data that, from, that you've been denied from science and experts all over this country and really all over the world for the past year. Uh, and so we bring this to a head in one book that has more footnotes, references, and citations than pages, but it's also written for the average person so that you can take this to your school board. You can take this to your ministry if you're if you if you have a church that still is skittish about opening up, you can take it to your city council, to your board of health that, that you don't just go there and cite and quote the Constitution. Most of these people don't care. And when fear is involved, you'll look heartless. You need to show up with superior data. And we're going to and we arm the audience with that in Fauci and Bargain. If you want to get a copy, the best place to do it is oh, just simply to go to Amazon.com and search for Fauci and Bargain the most powerful and dangerous bureaucrat in American history. I appreciate you putting that together because I, you know, I couldn't agree more. I mean, people have bought this hook, line and sinker. And yes, there's a virus out there. No one can deny that. But even in my own family, I have uh, sister-in-laws who have told my wife, we can't come visit you because you have not gotten the shot and we can't take any chances, even though they've already gotten the shot. So they've been buying this stuff. It's not science. Yeah. If they've been yeah. vaccinated, why do you need to be? You know, I, I did a mission trip in Haiti about seven years ago. Yeah, uh, Haiti, Haiti is the most the poorest country in our hemisphere. In order to get approved by the Obama State Department to go there for a mission trip, I had to get all of my booster shots and um, and vaccinations updated. I did. Now, of course, I'm down there uh, for well over a week with 
um, uh, you know, in, in, in levels of squalor that I can't even begin to describe. And I talk, I get paid to describe things for a living. And yet, and I'm surrounded by a bunch of unvaccinated people in what, in what is really a third world country. And right. yet the State Department, State Department allowed me to come back here. Why did they do that? Because I got vaccinated before I left. So, if it, so what would be the point of your vaccination if it doesn't secure you against people that are, aren't vaccinated? That doesn't make any point. That doesn't make any sense. That's no, it makes, it makes zero sense. And that, but that's, that's the uh, Kool-Aid people have been drinking. And that's why I think, you know, putting out this book is so important and to be able to arm people with facts because facts give people the courage they need to be able to speak to this. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, in the beginning about, you know, being able to communicate and having those lines of communication. I think, you know, that's the thing, you know, we're in the time that we're in right now because all the sides have lined up with the evil one, whether it's big tech, entertainment, media, education. I mean, the censorship that's going on, they are trying to control not only who can say what, but control the narrative, the talking points. And we can't let that happen, can we? No, we can't. And I'm, I'm glad that you described described it that way. We use a, a term on our show called the spirit of the age. Because I think that's, but that, and that's really a manifest, a, 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 a demonic manifestation of what we are up against in our culture today. And I, I think it violates, it goes beyond in, in, in the era we're in now, it's going to go beyond the traditional left, right Venn diagram. I mean, if, if, you know, Bill Maher, the atheist on HBO put out a commentary at the end of his show about COVID fear porn and, and Florida compared to New York that literally could have been ripped right out of the pages of my book. You know, the, the feminist author, Naomi Wolf is my new pen pal. I mean, she's out <laughs> tweeting, she's live tweeting excerpts of my book as she was reading it the other night. Uh, I, I think that it, what this is really, you know, I was on a, uh, a, a, a national Christian network the other day and they asked me what the greatest threat facing the church was. And I think they expected me to, you know, talk about a lack of evangelism or, you know, some hot button moral issue or, you know, um, you know, uh, threats by the rainbow jihad against, uh, you know, the, you know, religious liberty. I think it's, it's, it's more fundamental than that. Critical thinking is. So yep. the, the, the debate that, the, that people like us have had with the bill, you know, it's funny, go read Andrew Sullivan. He's basically the Benjamin Franklin of the gay rights movement in America. Go look at his Twitter feed, brother, and I would guess at least half of it every day you and I could write and say on our feeds. Yeah. What's happening? How, how did this occur? Because the argument that we had for decades with the Bill Mars, Naomi Wolfs, and Andrew Sullivan's of the world was about how far am I allowed to exert my own conscience? Is there a limit on it? What tells me when my conscience says I'm same-sex attracted? Is there an authority above me that says that your conscience is wrong? You need to reform your conscience. They would argue no. They would argue that, they're, that ultimately they are the master of their own fates. Uh, are, we would disagree that there's a master above us that we have to align our consciences with. But what the spirit of the age wants to do now is take the debate to another level. We're no longer going to debate to debate with, with people on the left, how far can we go in asserting our own conscience? We're now going to have a debate about whether you can form your own conscience whatsoever at all, or whether you are completely compliant in all things. 
whether you are a ward of the spirit of the age. And even for people on the other side that are critical thinkers, like a Richard Dawkins, like a, uh, a, a Naomi Wolf, a Bill Maher, uh, and Andrew Sullivan, they suddenly are running afoul of the mob, too, for daring to think for themselves. That's really the debate that's facing us here as the church in the West and in America, because absent reason, faith will simply be based on emotion. We will never out-emote the pagan. But we, 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 I, Elijah was never going to cut himself more than the prophets of Baal did at Mount Carmel. You're never going to do that better than them. They've got the market cornered on that. We have an alliance, a unique alliance of faith and reason that, is, that gives us apologia for the hopes that we have. The ability for Paul to go to a Mars Hill, the ability for, for Peter to confront a people who would, confront, who would crucify him upside down, that there is a, form, a fully formed conscience and, and, tra- and, and transformational heart that those things align that allows us to uniquely go into the arena of ideas and wreak havoc. Take the reason factor away, and it's our emotion versus their emotion. We're never going to out-emote the spirit of the age's acolytes. Critical thinking is something that we've got to fundamentally fight to restore uh, as, as a body of believers in America. And frankly, at times, we may have to align with some uh, strange bedfellows in this day and age in order for that to happen. Well, you're, you're seeing feminists line up against, you know, the transgender ideology because it's destroying women's sports. So you're seeing a lot of that. You know, that chaos that we live in in this world is really aligning some strange bedfellows. But in the end, you know, when we when we give up critical thinking, when we give up the truth, then we give up Jesus Christ and we lose. You know, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And if we give that up and try to get into a sparring match with evil, we're going to get hammered. And that's what I think we're seeing a lot. And that's why I like about your show. You talk a lot about, hey, you talk about the faith component, but you talk about, you know, things that, you know, common sense, critical thinking. I I appreciate, you know, the spirit of the age. You know, kind of reminds me of the great reset, you know, the phrase that's been going on out there. Explain to your audience why, why critical thinking is so fundamental to the Christian experience, okay? Because the first step I need I need to, I, the first step I need to take to become, to, to renew the, to become in communion with my creator again, to, to, to no longer be an estranged creation, to renew that relationship. The first step is I must admit I am my own problem. I must admit I'm the, I'm the problem. I'm the villain of the story. I'm a sinner. I must admit this. There's no way and, and I, you can get me to admit that emotionally sometimes, you know, put me in this huge arena around a lot of other people, play the right music, you know, have the right message. And emotionally, I may come to the conclusion, wow, man, I've done some really poopy things in my life I should probably apologize for. But, but the, you know, that's where I, the seed comes and, and, and stays for a little while. But then once, you know, um, adversity hits, it, it, it's scattered. You don't remain. That's, 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 a, that's a false convert. I don't become a disciple unless I'm willing, and it's not, I can't just do it once, whether you're a Catholic or a Protestant. If you're Catholic, this is what the Mass is a reminder of, the constant need that you, that your constant need for forgiveness, that basically you're forcing your actions each week that you committed 
okay, would, would force Christ to be crucified all over again. If you're a Protestant, like I am, you know, the, 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 I mean, Luther's um, preamble to the 95 Theses basically is that all of the Christian life is a life of repentance. So that requires critical thinking. It requires to not be a victim, to not claim, to not make excuses for yourself, to be willing to look in the mirror and say, man, it's my brain that's busted. You know, I did that. I got to own that. I got to make up for that. I got to make good for that. I need to be better than that. You're not doing that emotionally. That requires reason, a reasoned faith. That requires critical thinking for you to be, to to take place or take part in that form of a self-assessment. So I, I don't even know how we even conduct conversions, evangelism, and then discipleship without critical thinking. Where would, be, where, where would we get the motivation internally from for the constant self-assessment required within the Christian life without, without critical thinking? I don't, where else would it come from? Well, it wouldn't. And that's, I think your, your point is well taken. I mean, in the end, I always think that's why God created mirrors, because when I look in it, I see my big, the biggest problem I have in my life is looking right back mm-hmm. at me. Um, you know, it's called uh, humility called humility that goes along with that critical thinking because if we think we're superior to the other side and not acknowledging our own weaknesses then we're falling into that trap that they are laying for us and we will never get out amen that's that's and that and that's the great temptation we have is to fall into tribals uh, a counter tribalism to the to the spirit of the ages tribalism you know there's a there's one of the most chilling things I've ever read is a section of C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. When yep. Uncle Screwtape says that, you know, we don't care if it's patriotism on the right or pacifism on the left. If you can get your man to make his, his religious experience nothing more than a means to an end, meaning it's the, it's, the, it's the validation of the ideological preference he was going to probably pursue without a religious context anyway, but that's all the religious context does, just gives them further certainty that his particular humanistic ideology is the superior one. If you can get him to do that, and we don't care which side of the aisle they go down, just know we have a cage full of such men down here. I think one of the great temptations we have to avoid uh, is to not form a counter-tribal, whataboutist, uh, socio-political cult in order to confront the one that is being formed and fashioned against us. We doesn't mean that we cannot mobilize against this. And I just talked about creating a unique coalition to do so, but we can't ever lose our Christian identity in that process. Well, once you lose that, you've lost everything, right? If you don't have your Christian identity, then you, you become uh, the spirit of the age. You just become another minion. But here's where that might get difficult. You mentioned my video, 12 inconvenient truths. Yeah. This is where that might yeah. get difficult for us. That may require us. You know, there's a story out today that the International Olympic Committee is thinking of punishing athletes if they go to the Olympics later this year and take a knee or raise a fist. And I, when I saw that story, I tweeted out, be careful being against this because we're probably about 10 minutes away from being the people that kneel during the anthem and raise a fist, given what this country is becoming and wants to do to people like us now. This is going to require us to let go of nostalgia. Um, to me, there's a big difference between nostalgia and tradition. Nostalgia says that we look into the past to emulate it, that, that it has to look exactly what, what was successful before. It has to look like that again. And, and it becomes almost a, a, a paralytic 
where I don't move, I don't act unless something that that made me comfortable or I knew worked in the past shows up in the exact same formula as before. To me, tradition is looking back at what worked before, at those at those fundamental truths, and then applying them in a way that that is applicable in the time in which we live. Where tradition to me gives us confidence that we stand for things of an eternal significance. My fear is a lot of American Christians don't understand that distinction and are mired in nostalgia instead. And that's where I think you see this rise of nationalism coming from. Uh, I mean, listen, we, <laughs> the church has been under assault from nationalists every bit as much as it has been from Marxists. Uh, anything that empowers the state uh, is not good traditionally for the church. And so this is where we've got to make sure that we have a fight on our hands in this culture. We are here to wage this fight in this culture. And, but ultimately, the fight isn't for the culture. The fight is for the gospel. The culture is where the battle takes place, but it's not, where, it's not uh, the end game. And so we, we can't lose sight of that in this process. You're absolutely right. And in the end, right, I mean, look at the early Christians. The Roman Empire was a pagan empire, and they conquered the Roman Empire by living out the truth and not, right. not falling into the, the lies of the world at that particular time. You know, there's not a lot of difference. You know, you mentioned, you know, that we are no longer in, in your, 12, in your uh, 12 inconvenient truths that, you know, this is, this is now a pagan nation founded on limited liberty because they want to limit whatever liberty you have if you don't agree with what the culture is doing. Yes. We once were a Judeo-Christian country based on limited government. We're now a pagan country based on limited liberty. And I, I, I think you, you, we can't change things. You can't renew and reform something unless you're willing to admit what's wrong with it at that moment. And so there's some, those, are, those are some of the things that we've got to be honest about. We have to, it's time now for a brutal, brutally honest assessment of where we are so that we can chart a, tra- a successful track to get to where we would like to go. You mentioned, you know, the 30 reasons why we can't go back. Look, things weren't great before COVID anyway, right? I mean, all these things that are burbling up now have been, have been put in place and have been working on this culture for a long period of time. To go back and think, wow, the 60s or the 50s were the greatest thing in the world. There were problems then, too. That's why I think when you talk about revival or bust, that's why we need to understand that. And ultimately, that's the end game. Even if we were to form a successful coalition that, that, that pushed back on this, it's really like you just built another layer of wall to keep the Visigoths out. All right. That's, hey, that's, that's progress. That's good. But it's not a win. And so it, it, it all, they're not going to stop coming. So the, ultimately, the end game here, the only thing that's going to stop the Thanos snapping of Western civilization is revival. And in our country, how that looked was the Great Awakenings. Those were what gave birth to liberty on this continent in the first place. And liberty on this continent will die without another Great Awakening. Uh, without that, we're going to go bust because the spirit of the age has had too much control for too long, has indoctrinated too many of our countrymen, has dumbed down too much of their critical thinking that uh, it views itself as having the advantage and it's not going to stop. So ultimately, the only thing that will stop it permanently will be that the only thing that really creates cultural renewal 
is spiritual revival. Without that revival, this thing called Western civilization, or as we like to call it here in the States, American exceptionalism, is going to go bust. Yeah, well, you're right. I mean, in the end, we're just delaying the inevitable. And you talk about, you know, people in the country who have been drinking the Kool-Aid. I mean, could there be, you know, any greater example than LeBron James, who ponies up to the Chinese and thinks they're the greatest thing since cornflakes, and then tweets out the other day when a cop saves the life of a black girl who was about to be stabbed, and he twice tweets out, you're next. I mean, is that that's the type, that's what we're going up against, isn't it? It is. The reason why the spirit of the age operates with such impunity out in the open now is it doesn't fear you. It doesn't, it doesn't fear that there will be any backlash for it. And then you saw LeBron James ultimately delete that tweet because of the merciless mocking he received. You know, there's an old, you've heard me quote this on the show, there's an old Irish Catholic saying what the devil hates the most is to be mocked. And I think some good old fashioned mockery and, and, and scorning, uh, you know, like Isaiah mocking you, which end of the, of the wood are you going to burn? Which one are you going to worship? Uh, Elijah mocking you, hey, uh, maybe Baal's taking a crap. Maybe that's why he's not, you know, answering you. Um, you know, Jesus referring to Herod as that sly fox. Paul referring to the magician in Acts as a son of the devil. Um, I think it's time to bring back the, the, the cherished biblical tradition of when things just get so dumb and so stupid, they don't merit an argument. Like when Paul says to the Judaizers in Galatia, Basically, I'm so tired of debating you about your obsession with circumcision. You know what? You show me your commitment level. If you love circumcision so much, cut your whole penis off and let us know that you're really committed to this. I think it, I think it takes, it's, we need to engage in that level of scorn and mockery. Our people, the, the culture is like a jury box. And it needs to see that, it, 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 it needs to see the shibboleths shamed, I think, before it will reject them. And I think that is something that we need to do more often, because other than that, then they won't view that there's any threat, any penalty for behaving in such ludicrous ways unless we start penalizing them. Yeah. And I think, you know, the evil one, and you mentioned the screw tape letters, and we've mentioned it before on this show. I mean, it feels like we're living in the screw tape letters where good is evil and evil is good. Um, but the reminder is, I think, that we, that we need to remind ourselves is that we... The people that don't agree with us are not the enemy. Those are souls that need to be saved. And they need to be Amen. saved by speaking the truth, the critical thinking that you're talking about. And look, a little mockery, a little uh, humble pie, as much as I don't like eating it, I know how much I need it. That's, and it's fine if it comes from the spirit, brother, you just articulated. I'm not, we're not here. This isn't about owning the libs. In the right. end, those things, those examples are in the word of God in order to prick the conscience that when, when God has to go to, when God has his prophets and apostles go to that level, it's because the audience is that far gone, something radical, something that gets their attention because just a reasoned discourse. We're not to that point yet. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta prick the conscience before we can get to that point. And so it, 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 the, the end game is to spur that conversation. Then by all means, mock and scorn, show them that their, that their false God behind the spirit of the age has no power, but make, we need to make sure that is our motivation, lest we become uh, a lot like, uh, behave like a lot like what we're up against. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, understanding that Jesus won the war should help us uh, put things in better perspective. We're not we're not here to save the world. We're here to share the truth and be used. Let the spirit use us as as he needs to use us. And, you know, there are people who are speaking the truth, you know, who are trying to think and and put things out critically whether it's, you know, the Jason Whitlocks or the Charles, even Charles Barkley, who talks about, look, they're trying to pit you against other people. Don't fall for these lies. Amen. Look for critical thinkers whenever you can. You're exactly right. Well, the, I guess the good news is when you see, you know, zombies walking around, even somebody who's trying to critically think stands out like a sore thumb. <laughs> I, again, I couldn't have put it better than that. You're exactly right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just think, you know, it just, you know, we only have a couple minutes left, but, and, and, you know, you've talked a lot about the faith. How has becoming a Christian, you know, what, in the early 2000s, how has that changed your motivation and your way of thinking and, and giving you, has it given you this fire that you have today? Yes, it has. It's changed everything and still not as much as I would like. Um, I, I mean, I, I am... You know, I'm Roman seven incarnate. <laughs> I am, I am capable of just, why did I act like that again? Why did I do that again? Why did I behave like that again? Um, it, it, you know, I'm capable of doing that a half an hour after I, you know, give a fire and brimstone interview like this. And I, and I, I've, I'm not comfortable with my sin. I am strangely confident in it and that it, it it's that thorn in my flesh as paul talks about that actually keeps my conviction going it's a constant reminder therefore by the grace of god go i it's a constant reminder that icarus still flies to can fly still cl- way too close to the sun it's a constant reminder that the darkness is still knocking on the door as well uh and that keeps you know me humble it keeps me uh, seeking more after the light. It keeps my conviction and ire up because the, the things I rail against, I'm waging that battle in my own conscience, in my own mind, in my own life, like the average person in my audience is. And so I don't praise God for the sin that I struggle with. I praise God for allowing it to remind me of the grace that I need. How can people follow what you're doing? You know, where can they find your show? Sure. Uh, I would just look up for Steve Dace on iTunes uh, or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.